Good morning. Welcome. Lovely to see you. My name is David. I'm the pastor here. Thank you, Doug. If you haven't got a copy of the sermon notes, please put your hand up and uh, Doug will pass them out or hand them out to a couple of people. Jump in there. Beautiful worship time. Thank you to the musicians. Thank you for the, the singers. I guess singers are musicians. Um, thank you to them. Thank you to the folks who look after our building and care for our gardens and look after the lawns. God bless you. Uh, it's beautiful to come. I was driving last Sunday. We had all that rain and the grass was growing. And I was thinking, who's going to mow this? And then I came past on Tuesday and it was done. And I just said, thank you, God, for people who are willing to mow the lawns. Thank you for that. God bless you. This morning we are continuing. We're finishing our series in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2 next week. Uh, we're working our way through uh, the Gospel of Mark, a couple of chunk, a couple of verses at a time. Please take a look at the sermon notes there. A reminder that if you ever miss one of our messages, you can find them on our website. If you follow the church on Facebook, whenever the new message goes up on the website, I put something on Facebook so you can uh, be reminded to, to look there. And also to those listening on FM 100.1, RIM FM in the Boona, the old Boona Shire and surrounds. God bless you. Thank you for joining our church this morning. So Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 and onwards, we took have the children read it for us so well this morning. It's great to have the children read the scriptures with us and present them to us. And so first emotions. I had to think of what my first was going to be. We've had first impressions, we've had first introduction, first words, first followers, first something else, aid, and now for, it's only six weeks. I've gotten a week ahead of myself. We've done it in six weeks. That's pretty good for a whole chapter. First emotions. I did ask on the Facebook if anyone could suggest a good title, and this is the one that I've decided to go with. First emotions, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we follow on uh, from the story immediately before, as we finished last week, Jesus has gone on his preaching tour around Galilee. So verse 39 says, So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And as we've been talking about over these weeks, what is it that Jesus is preaching? What is it that he's teaching? We find that in Mark 1.15, and we've focused a lot on this verse as well. Let's read it together. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So throughout Mark's gospel, when we hear of Jesus preaching and teaching, it's this, it's this simple message that he's preaching and teaching. The kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And we've drawn our picture to help us remember this. I do encourage you uh, in your own private time, in your personal study, to draw out this picture and practice saying, practice what you would say if someone said to you, what did Jesus teach? What did he preach? Draw a picture like this. The time is fulfilled, says the clock. The crown says the kingdom of God has come near, says the arrow pointing down to a spot on the ground. It's here on earth with us. Repent, the other arrow says. Turn around and go back and do things the way they're done in heaven and grab hold, believe, grab hold with your faith these things that Jesus teaches. And so our passage last week ended with Jesus preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And a question that came to me through the week, as I love to ask questions, was this, a couple of questions. Why was Jesus allowed to preach in the synagogues? Did he have to have permission? What earthly authority did he have in order to preach? And the answer to all three sorts of questions is, we don't know. 
And it's okay for us to say that. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us explicitly that Jesus was an ordained preacher or that he would have been given a piece of paper from his local synagogue saying, you can go and do this. And in fact, our, our records of how first century synagogues operated are sketchy at best. We get better records as we come into the fourth and fifth centuries because uh, records survive much longer than that. But the basic idea was that Jesus was a man of his town. He was well known for knowing the scriptures. Uh, he was well known as a child for knowing the scriptures. And remember the story of him going to the temple and sitting at the feet of the great teachers and asking them questions. He was well known in his, in his village as being a man who knew the word. And in that Jewish first century settlement uh, situation, any man, only men sadly, only men knew the word in those days or, or only men were allowed to speak in the synagogue. And so he, just as be, by, by virtue of being a man who knew the word, he would have been allowed to speak in his home synagogue. And then Jesus gets involved with John the Baptist and he's a famous preacher. And so Jesus, we've read in John chapter 1 and 2 and 3 of Jesus following John the Baptist and teaching alongside him and even baptizing down the road from John. Uh, so when John the Baptist gets put in prison, Jesus says, it's getting too dangerous down here on the River Jordan. I better go home. He comes back to Galilee. And as he's come back, he's come from the John the Baptist revival meetings. So the people want to know, what was John the Baptist talking about? Here's another preacher who was with John the Baptist. Let's have him come to our synagogue and talk. So I think a lot of it would have been to do with Jesus being associated with that. Did he have a preaching ticket? Did he have a piece of paper saying he was licensed to preach? We don't know. But either way, he went out and preached the message. And then the next story carries on from this. We don't know how long he's been traveling around in Galilee. We're not told. A few weeks, a few months. But somewhere on his adventures, traveling through northern part of, of what's now Israel, Galilee, as he's traveling through that part of the world, somewhere along the way, he meets a man with leprosy. And that's our passage this morning. Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a statement at the same of, of two almost opposite ideas of incredible faith, saying, you can make me clean. This man has heard the stories of Jesus uh, doing his miracles and proclaiming his message. He's heard of Perhaps the old lady with the fever who got well. He's heard the stories of the people in Capernaum coming. He's heard the stories of the people having the demons expelled from them, the unclean spirits thrown out of them. And he's gone with incredible faith saying, you can make me clean. Because the problem with leprosy is that it makes people ceremonially unclean, that they're spiritually rejected from the, church, from the, from the village. You can be sick and still be part of the village, but if you've got leprosy, you are unclean and you're out. But this man is absolutely convinced that Jesus can make him clean, can make him whole, can make him right. It's a statement of incredible faith. And at the same time, it's a statement of incredible doubt. If you are willing. And that's a big if. If you are willing. And oftentimes I find that in my own life, I'm a man of incredible faith and incredible doubt at the same time. And I don't know if you find that for yourselves. I am convinced that God can do this. But will he? 
And so I very much associate with this man. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Why is he asking if you are willing? What is it he's asking? I think there are two options. One's the most likely and most obvious, and the second one we'll talk about in a moment. If you are willing, there are rules around lepers and they're in the Old Testament, and the rules were there for the benefit of the whole community and the leper, the person with leprosy. There are good rules, quarantine rules. You've got this disease that could be of the type that communicates and spreads and passes through. So for the safety of everyone, we're going to have to isolate you while we work out what's wrong with you. And if you read through Leviticus chapter 13, it's quite a read, I can tell you. There are rules in there for protecting everybody. But the problem was, by the time Jesus has come along and by the time the first century is happening, they're not interested in the quarantine for a while while we work out what's wrong with you. It's just, you've got a spot, get out. Leviticus 13 was set up to, we're going to work out what's wrong with you and we're going to help you and there's solutions for you to get clean and well and pure and reintroduce back into society. But by the time of Jesus, a thousand years or however long since Moses has written these laws, 1,500 years, 1,000 years, 1,200 years, something like that, somewhere in there. Is there an advance on 1,500? Somewhere in that range, over that time, they've forgotten the part of the law that says, and look after the lepers. And the part of the law that says, and if the spots go away, get them back in. Show yourself to the priest. They've forgotten those parts of God's word. They're just focusing on the get out. So there are costs to being associated with a leper. They're not being looked after by their family. They're just being abandoned and the, the terrible costs of that. And then there's the Old Testament law says, if you touch something that's unclean, then you are unclean. And so people were saying, well, if I go and work with these lepers and help them, then I can't go to temple. I can't go to synagogue for a period of time until I'm clean. So this leper comes to Jesus and falls on his knees and says, are you willing to do the unthinkable and touch me so I can be clean? We talked about this last week. Why did Jesus touch people to heal them? This leper has heard that everyone who Jesus touches gets clean. And so he has this idea, if Jesus will touch me, I'll be clean, I'll be healed. But will he? Is he willing to do that unthinkable thing and touch the leper and make himself unclean and have to remove himself from community for so long and all the rest of it? Is he willing to do that? Is he willing to pay the price of this? Is he willing to go up against the religious authorities who are sort of the doctors as well, the priests are the doctors of this time? Is he willing to go against them to clean me? Is he willing to turn his back on the religion to heal the individual? I think that's probably the most likely reason he says, if you are willing. I think that's the most likely, but... There's a second one which occurs to me, perhaps, perhaps this man has in his mind that this leprosy is from God, that this thing that he has is a curse from God. And so he's saying to Jesus, you are a man of God. Are you willing to take this curse of God away from me? Do you see what I'm saying? If Jesus is 
the messenger of God. He probably doesn't believe he's the son of God. We'll come to that in a few more weeks. We're not quite there yet. People haven't quite made that leap of faith. He's just seeing Jesus as a teacher, a preacher, a healer sent from God. And if this man thinks leprosy is a curse from God, God gave this disease to me because how else would I have got it apart from God? Why would the teacher of God then come and take it away? Sometimes we think about things in this way. Uh, People die and we say, oh, well, God needed another angel in heaven. Or God took him home. And people get sick and we say, oh, look, this is just my thorn in the flesh given to me by God. And all the rest of it. And sometimes we blame God for our sicknesses and illnesses and the terrible things that happen. And this week there have been terrible things that have happened in the news. And no doubt many of us have thought, where was God when that was happening? And sometimes in the Christian church, there are parts of the Christian church who say, God made that happen. God willed that happen. That's not us, in case you're wondering. That's not us. We don't say these things happen. I had the terrible, um, terrible opportunity once to go and pray with a family who's they'd just given birth to their new baby and the baby had been born dead, stillborn. Terrible situation. And your heart just breaks and there was nothing I could say for them except just to pray with them and bless them. But I just said to them at one point, this was not God's idea. God did not want to kill your baby. God didn't do this. There's a much more complicated story behind why these things happened, but I can tell you God didn't do this. This was not his idea. Because Jesus says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And there's a whole lot of complications behind that and why do things happen and why do bad things happen to good people and what is going on in our world and there's all those sorts of questions and we'll come back to that in a moment. But it's not, leprosy is not a gift of God. This man hasn't been cursed specifically by God with leprosy. And if he was thinking that and that was behind this asking if you are willing, well then there's good news coming. So that's the request, if you are willing. Are you willing to touch a leper or are you willing to go against God in this curse? And then in Mark chapter 141, I've noticed a typo, by the way, in my own booklet. The verse at the top isn't Mark 140, it's 145, so please forgive me. Um, here, Mark 141, your Bible might say something different than this. The Bible says Jesus was indignant. That's what the NIV And a lot of other translations say, the older translations, the King James, the RSV, the NRSV, they say Jesus was filled with compassion. There's an emotion here, but we're not sure what the emotion is. And there's a whole lot of questions around this, and we could go into great detail on this. It's one of my passion projects, so if you want to talk to me about this. But in very short terms, we have something called the Textus Receptus, okay? These are the old manuscripts that were copied and written down and passed down through the generations by godly men and women who took the original words as they understood them of Jesus and copied them and passed them down through our Catholic and Orthodox uh, faith fathers and even before those even words made any sense to anyone and down through the ages to us in the Protestant Reformation and beyond. The Textus Receptus is the main body of scriptures that was copied and passed 
down. It's Latin. It means the received text. It was the group of people saying, this is the one we think is right. This is the best one. We're going to copy it and pass it down. Okay? Textus Receptus. There are people who start their whole church around the Textus Receptus in the town I grew up in, in Boona. Hello, people listening in Boona. There was the church in town, the Baptist church in the main street, in Church Street, and up on the hill was the Bible Baptists. And the difference was the Bible Baptists said the King James Version is the only version, and we won't read any of the other stuff. And the church in the main street said, actually, you can read other versions. So there are people who take this idea and take it to extremes. God bless them. The Textus Receptus is the one that's passed down through the ages. It's the one that was most commonly used and copied. And in that, the word here is this word. Now, stay it with me if you can. Splagchinazomai. Splagchinazomai. Whatever that word means. It means filled with compassion. That's the word. Jesus looked at the man and he was splagchinazomai. And if there are Greeks in the room, you'll be comparing your hair out at me. Filled with compassion. It quite literally means he was gutted. This is an Australian, Australian expression for our new Australians. You need to learn the expression gutted. When you're gutted, it means I feel that so strongly, it's like somebody punched me in the belly. You're gutted. And that's what splagchinamazoi means. It means I felt that in my bowels. I felt that in my guts. It's like going, oh. You know, you just, the bottom falls out of you with grief and terror and horror. But the whole situation, it's a powerful word. So filled with compassion is just the way of saying Jesus was gutted that the man asked him this question. That's the Textus Receptus. Now we have these earliest manuscripts. There are some copies of the early translations of the Scripture which we find which didn't make it into the Textus Receptus for various reasons. Uh, and they weren't complete or they weren't entirely complete or different things. And so there's some older translations, older copies, which go back before the ones we've got for the Textus Receptus. And some of the newer translations, the NIV and different ones like that, they like to show us what those earlier versions said, those earliest copies said. And so the NIV will have it in the main text. This is what the earliest translation says. And then it'll have a note at the bottom saying, but most translations or most scriptures say this. Okay? The NRSV and other Bibles on that side have this Textus Receptus in them and then a note at the bottom saying, but other manuscripts, the earlier manuscripts, say this. This worries some Christians because isn't the word of God supposed to be inerrant and perfect in every single way? You're all supposed to say yes. Yes. Can we build our faith upon it? Yes. Is the word of God perfect? Yes. For salvation, which is what us evangelicals decided in the 1970s. The evangelical church got together and said, we need a statement that talks about how great the scriptures are and how perfect they are. And they came up with this word inerrant. And they said, we said the scriptures are inerrant in their original translations as it applies to salvation. So that was us distinguishing evangelicals from fundamentalists. Fundamentalists just say, no, the Bible is perfect, absolutely, 100%. And us evangelicals go, yes, we agree, but no, we don't, and kind of. And, so there's this, and we're not liberals, we're not those guys over there, but we're not fundamentalists, we're sort of evangelicals. We absolutely assert that the scriptures are inerrant in their earliest translations as it relates to salvation. 
If you read the Bible trying to find instructions for how to build a bridge over a river, the Bible's not inerrant in that area. Okay? And so we can have these conversations, and if you'd like to ask more questions about that, God bless you. Which of these words should we say is right? Why am I saying all this? Because it makes a difference, but not a big difference. It makes an interesting bit of difference, but it, if your faith is going to be destroyed because one, some translations say moved with compassion and others say indignant, then you've missed the point of the Scriptures. The point of the Scriptures is to meet Jesus. Okay? The point of the Scriptures is to meet the real living Word who we find in the Scriptures. Jesus himself said, you search the Scriptures because you think they, have, they give you life. But he says, but these are the Scriptures that talk about me. So if you're reading the book as a textbook, you're missing the point. The point of the book is to meet the Jesus that we find in the book. And here we have a little bit, this distinguishes Christianity from other world faiths, other world religions. Our Bible writers didn't have 70 people with pieces of paper and pens following them around who wrote down everything they said when they started prophesying. And at the end, they'd compare the 70 pieces of paper and say, yes, we agree that this is what he said. We didn't do that. We don't have that. The people who wrote Scripture didn't realize they were writing Scripture when they wrote it, most of it. Most of the New Testament is a bloke writing some letters to his friends. He doesn't know he's writing Scripture. God does. The Holy Spirit is absolutely using him to write Scripture. But he doesn't know. Most of the Scriptures weren't written as Scripture. Either way, that's the earliest manuscripts versus the Textus Receptus. And I've probably upset a whole lot of you. Please talk to me afterwards if I have offended you in some way. Because this is tricky stuff. Either way, we get this choice. Was Jesus indignant? Did Mark, when he wrote down the gospel for the first time, write the word indignant? And then somebody else a few years later, as they were copying out, thought, why is Jesus indignant? He shouldn't be angry. Let's just change that word a little bit. Indignant. Did I have the word on there? What, oh, I moved over that. So the indignant, remember that our Greek word for move with compassion is splag chizomoi. Our word for indignant is agonacteo. The words don't even look alike. They sound completely different. It's not like he accidentally lift off an E and turn the word wade into the word wad. Okay? That's not what happened here. The words are completely different. It means much grief. It means indignant, or the older translations say, he was sore displeased. I am often sore displeased with my children, and I frown at them and I wag my finger. I am sore displeased with you. Put that in your vocabulary. So when Mark is writing it, did he originally write the word indignant, and then some well-meaning translator later on go, actually, that shouldn't be there. Mark must have been mistaken. We'll put in this other word instead. Or did Mark originally write, was filled with compassion, and some well-meaning translator a few years later went, actually, he wasn't filled with compassion. He was more annoyed. Let's put indignant in. Which of those is right? We don't know. We'll find out in heaven. When we get to heaven, we can ask Mark, what did you write in the original version? Both of these emotions are found in the Gospel of Mark. As I read when we were dedicating the baby this morning, Jesus was indignant when his disciples said, don't bring the children to me. And many other times in the Gospel of Mark, the word indignant will come up. And every time it does, I'll go, indignant. And you'll all go, yes, Pastor David, we know. 
But the expression filled with compassion is also throughout the Gospel of Mark. In fact, these are the two main emotions that we associate with Jesus. He's either indignant or he's moved with compassion. So they're both in the Gospel of Mark. And perhaps some well-meaning folk thought, no, he shouldn't be indignant here, he should be this other. We don't know. But it does make a little bit of difference because it helps us understand perhaps, is Jesus willing to touch a leper? The if you are willing. If you are willing to touch a leper. And so Jesus could be indignant, angry at him, saying, when he comes to him and says, if you're willing, Jesus could be really annoyed going, I don't care what the religious people say and I'm very happy to touch you and heal you. And he says that I'm very happy as he's frowning at him and scolding him, as I often do with my children. I'm very happy that you've done that. Um, but Jesus, maybe he's indignant or maybe he is just absolutely overwhelmed and gutted and moved with compassion that this man might think that Jesus values the religion more than the need of the individual. Maybe that just guts Jesus. And he goes, you really haven't got to know me at all and I'm so overwhelmed with compassion, I will do this. Or maybe Jesus is thinking, actually, I really shouldn't be doing this for various reasons, but I'm just so moved with compassion, I can't not. Maybe. The other option, if, he's, if, if the man sees that this is a curse from God, the leprosy is a curse from God, and then he's saying, if you are willing to take this away, then I absolutely see Jesus getting annoyed at that. I absolutely see Jesus going, this isn't from God. God didn't give you leprosy. This isn't a curse from him. I can see him getting really cross about that. And sometimes when we blame God for things that aren't God's fault, I think he gets annoyed. I didn't do that. I didn't cause that car crash. I didn't arrange that genocide. I didn't arrange for that insert terrible thing here. The terrible things that have happened this week. Insert them into this sentence. I didn't do that, God says. And God's heart breaks as, we, as he sees the tragedies on the world every day. And then for his people to say, God, why did you do that? And God goes, I didn't. I didn't. That wasn't me. That was the devil. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. I've come that you may have life. And so if it's the second one, the second if you are willing, then I totally get Jesus being indignant with that. Which is why I think it's an option, a possibility. Again, these are big and complicated issues. If you want to talk to me about them, please do so. In response to all of this, to the emotions, to the asking, if you are willing, we have these wonderful words of Jesus. And if there is something you want to memorize from today's sermon, from today's message, then memorize these words of Jesus. I am willing. I am willing. When Jesus encounters someone who's sick and broken and lost, he is willing. He's willing to heal them. He's willing to clean them. He's willing to get involved. When he sees someone who's lost in their sin, he's willing to save them. I am willing, says Jesus. That leaves us with a whole lot of questions to why things don't happen, and maybe we'll come back to that in a moment. But ultimately, I am willing, Jesus says. Be clean. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. He broke 
Did he break the Old Testament law? Mm, maybe. He reached out and touched the man. I am willing, be cleaned. And instantly, immediately, the scripture said, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. You see, the Old Testament law and often us too, we have this idea that if something pure and holy touches something that's dirty, it's the pure and holy thing that is destroyed. We have that idea, don't we? A beautiful pink shirt, a beautiful pink shirt encounters a small child with chocolate fingers. What happens? The beautiful pink shirt stops being beautiful and pink and the chocolate fingers become a chocolate shirt. Yes? And we think of this, that when holy things encounter filthy things, the holy things become filthy. But Jesus is so holy, he is so pure, he is so perfect, he is so clean that when he encounters the small child with chocolate fingers, the chocolate fingers are miraculously cleansed and Jesus doesn't have a spot on him. Yes? When the beautiful holiness that is Jesus encounters the filthy ugliness that is leprosy, it's the leprosy that's destroyed and the holiness that's maintained. We have this idea that sin is like kryptonite and God is like Superman. You know, Superman can't go near kryptonite. If he goes near kryptonite, he loses all his power. We have this idea that God is like that, that he can't come near me because I'm so sinful. And some people are deliberately sinful so that God leaves them alone. C.S. Lewis says, no, sin is like manure and God is like roses. He loves getting stuck in and turning it into something good. He loves it. When he sees somebody broken and sick and lost in their sin, he comes to the rescue. He wants to deliver. If you're deliberately sinning so that God will leave you alone, you're doing it very much the wrong thing. If you want God to leave you alone, be religious. That's what I'll say to you. But if you want to keep on sinning so that God will leave you alone, you're barking up the wrong tree. When the beautiful holiness of Jesus encounters the ugly curse of leprosy or the ugly curse of sin, it's the ugly curse that's taken away and the holiness that remains. I am willing, says Jesus. And he reached out his hand and touched him. Be clean. And instantly he was cleansed. Jesus says to him with a strong warning, and this is a hint to me that perhaps the word should be indignant. Jesus is already cranky, and therefore he gives him a strong warning, which you can read the Greek behind that. It means much more than a strong warning. Jesus growled at him, don't you tell anybody. And we go, why? Why did he tell him not to tell anybody? Jesus isn't ready for this yet. He's not ready for everybody to come to him and overwhelm him. He's still getting himself established. He's preaching in the synagogues. He's doing his tour. He's going around. He's, yes, he's healing people and casting out demons. But here is leprosy, which in that world is the ultimate evil sin sin disease. It's the most terrible thing possible. Think of the most terrible disease you can think of today. That's leprosy in the first century. Because our terrible diseases and things killed people pretty much straight away in the first century. We've, we've cured so many things that our terrible diseases were unimaginable for them because they would have just been dead months ago. Either way, Jesus isn't ready for this to get out. He's not ready. Just shh. This is just for you and me. Let's just keep this between ourselves. There'll come a time when I'll deal with all the lepers. That'll come. I'm not ready for that yet. 
Perhaps Jesus should have been more explicit to him and said, look, don't tell them for this reason. What's the strong warning? I didn't bring that up. Don't tell anyone. Go, show yourself to the priests, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Leviticus chapter 13 includes all the instructions for what they're to do when they think, when they think, when someone thinks the leprosy is gone, what they should do. Go and get a certificate from the priest to say, yeah, you're clean. You're right. You can come back into society. That's what he's been told to do. So Jesus is honoring the Old Testament scriptures. He's using it as a testimony to them saying, look, go and tell the priests and they'll say, how did you get clean? And then you can say, well, this guy I met on the road named Jesus, he did this. Jesus is doing this deliberately. Don't tell this to anyone. I'm not ready for this to get out there. Go and do the things. Follow the steps. He says the same to us, by the way. If you think you're healed miraculously, keep taking your medication till the doctor tells you to stop. Did everyone hear me say that? Because that's the doctor's prerogative. It's the doctor who decides when you're healthy or not, not the preacher, man. God will turn up and do his miracles and you may well be healed. Keep taking your medication till the doctor says you can stop. Use it as a testimony. Go and say to them, I was prayed for. I feel a lot better. Can we start weaning me off this medication? It'll be a testimony to your doctor if you do it that way. I lost myself there. What was I saying? Jesus saying, don't tell anyone to anyone instead. Instead. Jesus has the authority to command demons. Jesus has the authority to tell fevers to leave and sicknesses to stop, and he's got the authority to cleanse lepers. But when he gives an instruction to an ordinary human being, that ordinary human being has the option of obeying or not. Yes? Because Jesus doesn't take away our free will, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Instead, I can't talk to you right now. Instead, This man went out and did something. And when people do the instead, there's always a result. When we go against the words of Jesus, when we go against his instructions, there's a consequence for that because that's what free will means. If you've got free will to make decisions, then your decisions have meaning and consequence. Instead, he went out and told everybody, and we, yes, as I said, who can blame him? If you'd been cleared of leprosy, you would want to tell everybody. But the consequence of that is that the thing that Jesus doesn't want happens. As a result, our choices have consequences. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly because the people flocked to him. They crowded him. He couldn't go into those narrow streets. The people jostled each other and hurt each other trying to get close to Jesus. Next week, we'll learn about a man who lost his roof because Jesus went back to a town. They're so obsessed with getting close to him that Maybe they were hurting each other. Maybe they were crushing each other. And the children are getting crushed and squeezed. And Jesus says, I can't do this anymore. And he goes out into the quiet places. He couldn't go into town anymore because this guy blabbed his mouth. And the thing that Jesus wasn't ready for happened. Instead, he went and did this. And as a result, this happened. Yet... People still came to him from everywhere. Even though Jesus removes himself from the towns and goes to the quiet places and starts preaching on the seashore and on the mountains and in the hills, people still come to him from everywhere. And He trains his disciples to deal with the crowds and the whole thing. Sometimes Jesus gives us an instruction 
and instead of doing that, we do something else. And as a result, a bad thing happens. Yet, God is still able to work even when we mess it up. Even when we make a mistake, even when we go against what Jesus says, he can still deal with that. It's just not plan A anymore. Now it's plan C. Sometimes we get in God's way. Are there any questions this morning from all I've said? Good on you, Robin. God bless you. Before Robin speaks, if I don't repeat the question back so you can all hear it, you're all to wave your hands and say, hey, we didn't hear the question. All right? Go, Robin. Oh, good question. And I'm going to answer straight away to pretend that... So here's the practice. What What do you do when I don't repeat the question? Wave your arms and say, hey, we didn't hear the question. Robin's question was, wasn't his command superfluous? Didn't other people see this happen? Maybe, but here's what I think. I think that this happens between villages because lepers aren't allowed in the village. A lot of the pictures we showed in the kids' time showed the leper inside the village coming to Jesus. But I don't think that's where it happens and I don't think you can read that in the text. I think the leper catches Jesus as he's traveling from one village to the next, out in the fields. So it's just Jesus and his disciples and a couple of folks around him. You've got a follow-up question. Go for it, mate. So the question was, wouldn't the people be following him irregardless of where he was? Not yet. Not in this point of the scripture. As we read in verse 39, he went from village to village, preaching in the synagogue. He's got this on a slow simmer. He's got this in a slow boil. The pot hasn't boiled over. He's not ready to be big, spectacular man just yet. He's training his disciples. He's doing his things here and there. He's building up. He's taking the time because he knows he has to be killed at just the right time. Jesus knows to the second when he has to be killed. And if he makes too big a name for himself just yet, he'll be killed at the wrong time or upset someone or whatever. So he's got the perfect sense of timing. He knows what he's doing. He's keeping things on the down low. So no, as we go on in the Gospel of Mark, we will certainly read that people follow him everywhere and he can't go anywhere by himself. In fact, because of this leper, that's what happens. Because of, I keep calling him the leper, the poor fella. Let's call him Bob. Because of Bob, this is what happened. Jesus wasn't ready for this yet. And so he goes off into the wilderness for a while. We'll read next week what happens after that. Any other questions? I think I'm out of time. Remember that if you've got questions, please send them to me, text them through to me. My email address, my phone number's on the page. Thank you for your good questions. So this morning, who do you blame when things go wrong? Are you like Bob the leper and think maybe this curse is a gift from God or a curse from God and it's God's fault? Do we blame God when things go wrong? Think about that for yourself. The question, are you willing to touch the untouchable? Who in our society is excluded and thrown out and ignored? Who do we call lepers today? And are you willing to go to them? Share the good news. And lastly, are you helping or hindering the good news? Is there some instruction from God to you that you're not following? 
and you're making things tougher for the church, tougher for God, tougher for the kingdom, then things need to be. Maybe. Something to think about there. But this word from Jesus, he says, I am willing. Whatever your problem is, whatever your challenge is, whatever your thinking or your action, whatever it is that's not right, whatever it is that's filthy or wrong, Jesus says to you, I am willing. I'm willing to work with you. I'm willing to touch you. I'm willing to help you. I want to make you clean and pure and holy. I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. Let's pray. Let's not pray. Let's look at the the song on the front page there. This beautiful song came to my mind as I was thinking about this message. His love has no limits, his grace no measure, his power no boundaries known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Sometimes we put rules and regulations around what God can do. God, this is your box. You can do this much, but over here you can't. And Jesus says, no, I can step through that box. I can step through that regulation. I can step through that religion. His power has no boundaries known unto men. I like to sing this one to a Thanksgiving hymn, the American hymn. So if you know that, join in with me. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundaries known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I thank you that you are good and your love endures forever. Father God, I thank you this morning for your son Jesus who shows us what you are truly like. I thank you that he touched Bob the leper all those years ago, that he was able to say, I am willing, and broke through all that religious stuff and touched him. Broke through that man's mindset and touched him and healed him and cleaned him. Father God, this morning, there are things in our lives that are not right. We confess them to you. Help us, Lord God. Break through and touch us and clean us and make us right with you. Father God, we thank you that in your infinite love in Jesus, you give and give and give. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us. Help us. For I am weak and weary and broken and defiled. But out of your infinite grace in Jesus, you give and give and give again. Father God, for people here who are challenging, blessed, challenged and troubled, bless them, Lord God. Touch them, Lord God. Reach out, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place. Help us to trust in your goodness. Amen.